You're listening to PPP. Not that kind of PP. Preston's Poetry Podcast. Oh, yeah. In the last two episodes, I've been talking about rhyme and form, specifically the sonnet, as ways that ought to help make poetry more neatly packaged so that you can put it on your keychain and hear it jingle on your way to work or walking around town. We talked about how poetry is concentrated and how it's meant to give you only the most important bits of information. But if poets do that, then their poems can get pretty dense. So some ways that poets overcome that is by giving it some predictability and excitement. Then they use rhymes, initial, internal, and in rhymes, or perhaps use a form. There's another technique, of course, and that's humor. If it's funny enough or weird enough, the reader or listener's interest then grows bigger than their failing attention span. Now, this episode will tackle a whole lot. Some titles might be Sonnets Part 2 or How to Read Old Poems You Feel You're Too Stupid to Understand. Well, if you feel that way, then this is exactly the podcast for you. Remember that, in my view, poetry can be dense, but they're also usually short, and a good poem will give however much you put into it. And it may only take a few minutes' effort to get some real deep inspiration. Now, you can expect that the older a poem is, that the denser it is, but also that it's lasted the test of time for a reason. Therefore, they might tend to take some extra work, but I think they're worth that work. Anyway, today's poem is Sonnet 130 by William Shakespeare. Now, it's a hilarious poem once you get past the old language, but that's what I'm here for. This sonnet is 14 lines, and we might call it a two-group sonnet, as it's one big 12-line block of text with a two-line turn or volta at the end. It follows a rhyme scheme, too, like the ones before. I encourage you to look this poem up and follow along as you listen because some of my tips will help you read these poems when I'm not talking in your ear. Before I say any more about it, just have a listen. This is Sonnet 130 by William Shakespeare. My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white... Why, then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go, My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. In this sonnet, Shakespeare talks about his mistress's appearance in not-so-flattering terms. He does this in two-line groups. He takes something that someone who is in love might say, and then says, his mistress is nothing like that. In fact, 
He doesn't even say his love or his wife. It's his mistress. He's not exactly painting a nice picture of her. Where you might think you'd hear some comparison like, my mistress's eyes are like the sun. Uh, Shakespeare says, my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral, which is a kind of orange pink, is far more red than her lips red. Uh, So not red at all. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done, a dull gray color. If hairs be wires, which is a pretty nasty way of talking about hair, black wires grow on her head. No flattering picture there. It's even a bit funny that Shakespeare didn't even attempt a pretty description there. He just says her hair is black, but just seems to give up. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. Most of these lines are pretty straightforward in reading them. I find that most people don't really know how to read poems, except to read them in lines. Now, poets write in lines for many reasons. Some recent poets have criticized that there's no reason for poets not to write in paragraphs like we would an essay. But I suppose that's just not the culture of poets normally. For Shakespeare, lines generally break predictably. He writes in a kind of beat pattern, the word for which is meter. Traditionally, English poetry, especially Shakespeare, the meter is iambic pentameter. Iams are a type of little unit of stresses that goes unstressed, stressed. Think ka-ching, berserk, invest. And then penta just means five. So every five of those, he breaks to the next line. Now, what this means for you, besides just the fun of knowing how clever he has to be to pull that off, is that you should not think the line necessarily means you should stop. The line broke just because he did five I am's. If the line ends without any punctuation at all, just keep going. In addition, if there is punctuation in the middle of the line, stop or pause just like you would a normal sentence. Consider this line. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. Any pauses in there are just pauses I would normally add when reading this in a novel, but it's actually two whole lines with no punctuation. Going forward, the next line has a comma in the middle asking us to pause, but then it goes on and continues on to the next line. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. If we pause at the end of the line, then we break up that idea. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. In effect, pausing at the end of the line puts a lot of stress on the rhyme scheme for no and go, sound and ground. It draws the attention primarily to the rhyme scheme, away from the text. So that's why we keep going when there's no punctuation when the line ends. This technique of carrying over to the next line is called enjampment. Even though the line ends with the rhyme, the sentence or idea keeps carrying on over to the next. Roses are red, violets are blue, I love reading poetry, how about you, does not have enjampment. Let's hear a bigger section, first stopping at the end of the lines, not observing the enchantment. 
I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. But now if I carry on and observe the enchantment and the punctuation, it's a lot more like talking. I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go, and so on. When we keep going with the line, if there's no punctuation, it drives the poem forward, and poets intend for that to happen. Novelists will control the pace of a novel with shorter sentences. Playwrights will use things called forwards to keep us going, like when Chekhov has someone carrying a gun around on stage. So if we don't observe that enjambment, then it's like hitting every red light on the way when you're late to work. Instead of calming down and preparing to arrive, you're just constantly thinking about how late you are and how bad it is that you're late. In poetry, when you stop at the end of the line when it's not marked, you stress the rhyme and miss the point. And the same sound of every line being the same gets repetitive and boring. Just like obsessing with being late when you hit a lot of red lights, you end up paying attention to the lines and the patterns instead of the poem. Now, as we approach the last two lines, Shakespeare's rather unflattering image of his mistress hits the volta, the turn. The last two lines rhyme. For all his underwhelming imagery of his mistress, mean but kind of funny, he says... And yet by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. Now, strictly speaking, the last line means my love is as rare as any woman so falsely described with such exaggerated features. Essentially saying, it's not even true. And that this is all just a joke. He actually loves her very much. On the one hand, we could take that at face value and laugh it off that the turn was just the declaration of it all being a big joke. But you also might think he's saying it to get out of trouble. After all, the whole turn, which is usually some six lines long, is only two short lines here. That's a disproportionate amount of time to all the previous lines calling her appearance and countenance underwhelming. Anyway, have a final listen and see what you think he intends with those last lines. This is Sonnet 130 by William Shakespeare. My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. 
I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. So through these iambic pentameter lines, with groups of end rhyme and enjambment, Shakespeare takes us through a rather unflattering picture of his mistress to an ending that, if taken at face value, exclaims that it's just an exaggerated joke. If you want to try this out, give yourself 12 lines, maybe rhyme every other line or something, to exaggerate the ugly or bad things about something that you actually love. Use some enjambment in the middle to drive the poem forward and create motion. Don't use enjambment to pull it back. Fill it with some unexpected, even unsettling comparisons like wires for hair. These comparisons make connections to the world around us, allowing us to think differently than we normally would. Then, just when we get to the end, kindly admit that you really do like it and that people shouldn't take you so seriously, even if they're laughing at it more than 400 years later. Some of the words you might have to look up, as it is old, but this can happen in any book as well. I remember reading a book recently that said there was no good grocery store in a particular city. I got so distracted by that blatant fact, wondering if it's true, and I had to look it up. I ended up losing an entire hour reading a series of articles about how that town actually was supposed to get a good store, but then it turned out to be a bad one the day it was unveiled. The town got so angry that the grocery store chain ended up creating a smaller version in a gas station just to appease the townspeople. Now, all of this is just to say, I can almost guarantee you won't lose nearly that amount of time looking up a few words here and there. You'll learn a few new words along the way, plus, and get to hang out with the poet for a while. All things considered, given just a little effort, even old poets like William Shakespeare still have much to offer us through their poems. Hey y'all, Preston here. Thanks for tuning in. My favorite line of today's poem was, If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. Tell me yours or ask me stuff on Preston's Poetry Podcast Instagram or Facebook page or via the website PrestonPoetryPodcast.com. We'll see y'all.